Welcome to the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast with Vicki Nedling. You are about to discover impactful lessons that help you grow as an individual, grow your confidence, and find the positive and good within you, so you powerfully and authentically become the best version of yourself. Be sure you visit our website at www.findyourleadershipconfidence.com. While you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now tune in, get ready, and enjoy the journey of emerging as a leader of exception in the 21st century. Welcome everyone to the Find Your Leadership Confidence podcast. I'm Vicki Nethling, your host, and I have the goal of this podcast is to bring topics and guests that will empower you to grow your business and take your business or your life to the next level. Please welcome today Julian Chapman and let me tell you a little bit about Julian. Julian has over three decades of experience engaging teams and organizations from small groups to thousands of employees building their leadership capability. His leadership knowledge is augmented by his 30 plus year as a second second career as a member of the Canadian Armed Forces, which he retired in 2014 at the rank of Brigadier General. And he joined Forrest and Company in 20 or 2002. Is that right? That's correct. And, and taking over the as the president of the company in 2015. So you were in the forces, the Canadian Armed Forces, and working. Is That's it correct. Sort of like in the U.S., we have it as a um, uh, <laughs> I can't I can't think of the term right now. That's well, I, did, I was I was an Army reservist. So, That's it. Reserves. Uh, yes. Yes. I was trying to think of my brother. He was in the Coast Guard Reserves. Yes. Yeah. Very so good. that's so I had, as we say in Canada, I had a foot in the canoe and a foot on land. <laughs> so I had a bit of both going on, trying to stabilize two lives simultaneously wow. as well as a family. So. Yes. And I interviewed quite a few military folks and there's so many things you learn in leadership when uh, about leadership in military that uh, that's why I always say, yes, I, I'd like to have you on my, sh- my show, because I think there is just a, such great knowledge that you can share. Well, it's, um, it, it's interesting. One of the things that, uh, that I've commented on in the, in the book that I wrote uh, was that what I learned uh, as far as le- leadership was concerned was, was actually, in fact, management. It yeah. was management skills. It wasn't necessarily leadership skills. Those only came through trial and error, I think, is really where the leadership training aspect really came about, was just through those, those errors and, and those yeah. mistakes. And hence why I always believe that it's a journey. That's exactly no right. We are continual. on the same page. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, you had mentioned in, in your bio that um, you help solve problems through effective thinking. <laughs> I think being in management that there is oftentimes where I question if there was any thinking going on, they were reacting, but it wasn't really 
thought provoked. Well, it's, yeah, no, definitely. Well, you know, it's it, thinking is the undiscovered country. We talk <laughs> a lot about behavior, but we don't talk about the thinking that goes into creating the behaviors. And so for the last, uh, well, it's over, uh, it's over 20 years now. It's almost 30 years, actually. I've been working on this, this thing called effective intelligence, which is a language for thinking. We have a language for mathematics. We have a language for science. We have a language for you name it. We don't have a common language for thinking. Mm. And so it's really a common language around how do you think through things and how do you make decisions and how do you sell your ideas and all of these sort of pieces. And our education system teaches us what to think, not how to think. Yeah. So it's it's that it's that ability to uh, to really exercise that uh, that that hu very human skill set. Yeah, for sure. So our theme is going to be the art of managing managers, and I I always start out with an easy question. I kind of got into <laughs> questions right away, but your background just is very intriguing to me. So where do you call home right now? Where do you live? Uh, well, I live in Toronto, Canada. Uh, so uh, as, uh, as you know, our nickname is Great White North. And Toronto is kind of like, uh, for, for American audiences, it's kind of like it's seen the same way as New York is seen by the rest of America. Mm. Um, it's not a well-loved place. So I, I rarely talk about the fact that I come from Toronto. I didn't grow up in Toronto, but, uh, uh, but it's, you know, people, people sort of, Oh, you're from Toronto. So that's, uh, that's where I live. So, well, I was involved with the project, the UPS store launch in, in Canada, as well as the U S okay. and so I spent a good bit of time in Toronto and Guelph. So I like <laughs> Toronto because I found the people very nice. Very well, that's nice. good. That's, that's good. That's good messaging. And that's good, good PR for a, for a city. <laughs> Um, that's, I guess it's the fifth largest in North America. So it's, yeah, it's the size yeah. of the city. It is. It is. It's quite nice. I liked it a lot. Okay. So I want to, before I get into the other questions, I want to just go back to what we were just talking about and the thinking process. And what struck me is I have two grand boys and, um, one is three and one is five or seven now. And I love to watch them problem solve and how have when we grow how has our schooling taken away that problem solving skill that we innately I think have talk to me about that's, that no that's a, that's a great point Vicki and and you know um Edward de Bono, who is an expert in lateral thinking, he created the construct of lateral thinking. He did a lot of work with children because that was his view, was that, uh, that we basically beat the creativity out of children at a very early age, and it continues throughout their career. And in an age now where we have to be coming up with new approaches, I mean, we've just come out of a pandemic, unless you were around in 1919, you couldn't rely on your experience. Mm had to rely on your thinking and so so thinking is is actually a premium but we're not very good at it mm -hmm. and what we put, tend to find is is that we get ourselves caught in these these preferences of our thinking and we don't open our minds to broader thinking opportunities and so our education system is very good at teaching us 
uh, about data and analysis and judgment, but it isn't about coming up with new things. We're not taught how to create new things. We're just taught to analyze and to assess the things that exist. So, uh, so I think you know children absolutely are very good at that. In fact, you know one of the key elements of of thinking is the ability to imagine, to create things yeah. inside of our heads. But of course, we that's childlike. So we don't do that. You know, you're not going to do that here. Um, but uh, but many of the, the, the greats like Einstein and Stephen Hawking relied on that imagination to be able to create the constructs that they did. Yeah. So, so. yesterday I, I spent um, a bit of time with my grandson, seven-year-old grandson and daughter at Lego Discovery Center. <laughs> and many years ago, I, when I was working for uh, Arby's corporate office, I was in the construction. I was a construction coordinator, basically a project manager for them. And I got involved with women in construction. And we had this event every year where we had brought in kids and we gave them a bin full of Legos and they had to create whatever. This is prior to all of the magical things that we have out there now that Legos does. But what struck me was in this center, there were Legos all around and these kids were encouraged to create whatever. But if you think about it, we took it when we were young and, you know, I was a 60s baby. So uh, when we were young, we had these blocks that we made into houses and right. maybe a, a car, but mostly houses and things. Now they make all these fantastic, fantastic things. So they were tasked in this one area to take the blocks and make a rocket. And then they take this little rocket and stick it in a little cylinder or little area that scans it they push a button that says to launch their rocket and it takes that scan and puts it on a screen that's in front of them that is the galaxy with planets and asteroids and pizzas and they their rocket they blast and they <laughs> shoot and they get points and so they gamify this so it went from this physical to a digital to a game. How great is that? So when Absolutely. we talk about, you know, the, the fact that we aren't as creative as innovative, but yet we have things like this that are encouraging that piece with our children. Which, which is absolutely critical, but, it, uh, but unfortunately there's generations now that have lost that, right? Yeah. So, we're going to have to rely on the youth uh, relying on their Lego and yeah. that sort of approach to really take our world where it needs to go in the future, because we, we can't rely on, on what, what happened in the past because change is around us everywhere. And yeah. it's, we're, we're in a perpetual state of change and newness. So how, how do you feel about um, that the teams are so disconnected now. I mean, they, they, they it, it, and I don't know if it even has really now because I've been in, was in manage, management for a number of years and I, 
I think it was really the last years whenever I was managing people that I started to say, here's our vision and mission. And here's what you do that ties you to that. Other than that, you know, we were just building clogs and whatever's right? right. So talk to me a little bit about that. How, how is from a managerial standpoint, how, how were we failing there? Well, it, it, it's interesting you say that because I think, uh, you know, I think COVID created this, this golden opportunity for uh, a, a golden age, for want of a better term, for managerial leadership, mm-hmm. where managers suddenly realized they had to take care of their people. Yeah. But now that that's not there, and we're kind of getting back to normal, and you know, some people are working some days a week in the office, and some days at home. And yeah. that, that what I understand from clients and 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 just just talking to, to to industry out there is there's a discombobulation in the workforce right now. Mm-hmm. That they're they're at this point where uh, people just don't know which end is up, and they're getting more and more frustrated, and. We do uh, we do a lot of work around what is in what is the organization what is an organization's pain, mm-hmm. so what is the pain that an organization is feeling, and the number one pain point um, in the past has been overloading. Now I would suggest that people are even more overloading, yeah. and we're finding that when we talk when we go to groups and we ask them what the pain is, overloading is huge right now, mm-hmm. and I put all of the pain onto the shoulders of our managerial leaders mm-hmm. because they're the ones that are the ones that should be ensuring that people are clear on the vision are clear on where they need to go and it, and and are ensuring that they're supported to get there yeah you can't expect the employees to do that yeah and, and so it's we've gone through a tough time and i'm just hoping that we can maintain that golden age that uh, that renaissance in leadership um, but it's it's not looking it's not looking particularly like we're going to be able to. I mean, certainly people learned a lot, but mm. uh, the question is, will we be able to maintain it? And, and I, I think that you know what I experienced when I first went into leadership. The companies that I was in, thankfully, did recognize that you know you don't know what the heck you got promoted <laughs> it doesn't mean all of a sudden you got all the smarts of what to do and how to do it so there was extensive in-person training role-playing and all that kind of stuff and then budgets hit right and and you know there were probably 20 15 years where you just you were promoted and you were expected that you knew what to do and you didn't and people suffered companies suffered and I think now, even more than ever before, managers have to take the time to manage. And they and need to understand how to do that. They, they absolutely do. And, and as I said at, at the outset, this mm-hmm. management thing is, is a journey. Yeah. It's, not a, it's not a one program and you're done, mm-hmm. you're inoculated or whatever. It's that you have to keep working at it, and trial and error is is part of that journey. But we, you know, we we have these professions. So we, we, you know, you're a finance person, or you're a marketing person, or you're a salesperson, and that's your technical know-how. Mm-hmm. And and as you grow in your career, 
the next step beyond that technical know-how is a management role. But if I'm still leaning on my technical know-how, then I keep getting pulled back to it. And the one common role in all organizations, whether it's public sector, private sector, you name it, is managerial leadership. But we are not professional about it. Yeah. We don't see it as a profession. Sure. We see our profession as sales or, or finance or research and development, you name it. But we don't see managerial leadership as a profession. Yeah. And oftentimes, you know, oftentimes they'll promote somebody because they're good at that operational piece and they don't have the people piece, which is so key to, to doing that. I I change my leadership style and, and that's what I teach now leading for the heart, the head and the hands, because you have to get to know your people. And you've got five different generations of different kinds of people to motivate in different ways. And we refer to the golden rule of leadership is know your people and promote their welfare. Yeah. And, but one of the things that I, and I keep referring to managerial leadership because I'm being very specific here because we use the term leadership and it can mean, it can mean, you know, someone who's climbed Mount Everest to, uh, to a great, football team to you name it when I'm talking about managerial leadership what I'm talking about is the ability to bring management and leadership together management is not a dirty word and you can't just have leadership you have to have that management Mm -hmm. side that task side and it's about bringing the task and the people together and managing the tension between the task and the Mm -hmm. people together but, you know, so, so, you know, there's a bunch of books behind me on the bookshelf and there are lots of books around, around leadership, very few books around management. Mm-hmm. And, and so people believe that if you just focus on leadership, you'll get there somehow, but you have to be able to do both. Mm-hmm. And that's why it becomes a profession because it's not something that you can just acquire overnight or you're mm-hmm. born with. You've got to develop those skills. And so, so uh, so it, it becomes critical from the standpoint of being successful to be able to balance the, the management and the leadership together, the task and the people together. Yeah, that balance is very important. So how do we identify what the strategy really is and how to get there to, to achieve that? Well, it's, yeah, it's, a great, it's a great point. As I said, Uh, we start by looking at what is the pain that an organization Mm -hmm. actually has. Because that's really the role of management is to clear the path, to to be the impediment remover. Um, There's a a great book, The Inner Game of Tennis. um, And uh, and in that, he refers to the equation of coaching is performance equals potential minus interference. So in other words, as managerial leaders, our job is to remove the interferences to enable the potential to hit the performance. But we don't see it that way. In fact, we've become victims of the pain, not realizing that we are actually a perpetrator of the pain. And so so that's where it has to start. It has to start with that. And I would argue, and I do argue vehemently, that the, the root cause of organizational pain and both in business, outside of business, in the world today, is the lack of accountability. Yeah, uh, I agree. And, and we're very specific about our definition of accountability. 
So it is about holding someone to account and providing positive reinforcement or negative reinforcement, depending on how they, they do that. But it's mm -hmm. absolutely mission critical. And it's about defining what are the expectations and then providing people with the resources to be able to do that. That's the key to accountability, mm -hmm. as opposed to responsibility, which is a personal feeling of obligation. Mm -hmm. And far too often managers are willing to just go on someone's sense of responsibility and, and leave it at that. The problem with that, if you've ever done that, is what happens when things go wrong? How do you have the conversation if you've been the absentee landlord, yeah. so to speak, of this, this team and things go wrong? How do you then hold them accountable if you've not been doing it before? And so, so it's about understanding that tension. It's not to say that responsibility is bad, but we're all different. Mm -hmm. One of the things we were talking about thinking earlier, you know, in our research, we have yet to find two people in the same organization with the same thinking profile. Mm. Thinking is the ultimate diversity. And so what we do is, is that we see the same things, but we process them differently. Mm. So it's, it's critical for us to realize that people will have different senses of responsibility. Mm. The, the analogy that I draw, you know, your, uh, your, your grand boys, I guess was how you referred to them. If you've ever seen eight-year-olds playing soccer, mm -hmm. right? So you have some that are clustered around the ball. You have some that are picking flowers. You have some whose parents have taught them that only good little boys and girls are the ones that score. And so they get the ball and they're going to run with the ball. And they're not going to pass the ball to anyone. Yeah. That's what happens in responsibility-based cultures. Mm -hmm. Whereas accountability is everybody knows the position that they play. And when and we pass the ball back and forth, and when we score, we score as a team, yeah. not as an individual. That's the nature of accountability. Sorry, it's a sports analogy. I realize. No, but, that's good. I'm all about sports, so that's not <laughs> the uh, the thing that I was thinking as you were talking is the you know accountability and delegate or um, micromanaging. I think sometimes people get those confused and nobody wants a micromanager, but you do need to hold your people accountable. So talk a little bit about that. It's a, it's a great point, Vicki, because, you know, and, and what we mean by accountability is back to knowing your people and promoting their welfare, knowing the capability of your people. So it's about building them a sandbox. And that sandbox can't be too small for them, like the, the old, uh, you know, the old, I guess it was Warner Brothers cartoon of baby Huey who was, yeah. <laughs> you know, couldn't fit in the sandbox, right? Because they're going to leave. If their yeah. sandbox isn't, isn't big enough for them, they're going to say, we're out of here. Yeah. By the same token, you don't want to put them in the middle of the Sahara either, mm. where there is no parameters and they're lost and they wander around and, and they're unclear. Mm. So it is about, though, establishing what is the end state. Accountability mm -hmm. is about end state. It's not about how to get there. It's what needs to be delivered. And then what you do is you enable someone to use their own thinking to figure out how to get there. Mm -hmm. And you and may be there to monitor and coach and help them along the way, but it's not about standing over their shoulder telling them, you know, tick this box now type of thing. Yeah. And because oftentimes you have 
and in my experience, um, you'll have someone that is manager and they have in their mind how the task should be done. You know, they set the expectations, but as you said, that person is not going to grow as, as a creative, innovative person, team member, if you only let them do it your way. And there, I always, I always would tell my people, you know, your GPS is different than mine (laughs) and you will reroute maybe from what I told you to do, but as long as you know the outcome and you achieve the outcome, then I'm cool with it. (laughs) Well, and, 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 you know, one of the things that we say about accountability is, is that every manager is accountable to their manager Mm-hmm. for building a team of increasingly capable direct reports. Yeah. So it's about the fact that nobody comes fully formed. We have this strange belief that the perfect employee is out there somewhere. We just have to hire better the next time, right? But nobody comes perfectly formed. In fact, we are on an ongoing development path, mm-hmm. a continuous improvement development path. And we have to understand that our job is then to be there to assist them in that, but not to tell them how to do it. But it's about it's about encouraging them and engaging them and, and bringing them along on the journey. Yeah, and that's why it's so important that you take the time if you are new to a company or a group to get to know your people before you start <laughs> barking orders or or making assumptions because. Uh, you, you need to, to know that and build that relationship really with the absolutely, folks. Absolutely, absolutely. And this, so, is, this takes us away from our technical know-how though, doesn't it? Yeah, and suddenly, sure you know, I'm no longer, I'm no longer uh, doing that people stuff on the, the, the edge of my desk. It's now in the center of my desk mm-hmm. and the spreadsheets are now moved to the side because yeah. that's what my real work is. Absolutely. Yeah, I love that analogy. So how does the art of managing managers truly work in your system? Is it a step-by-step process that you have, or is it something that's uh, learned over time? Exactly what well, you do. Yeah, no, it's, it's, a great, it's a great point. And, and if I might, the point around managing managers is, is that we don't often think of uh, that as being different from managing direct reports. Again, yeah. you know, there's lots of books written about how to get out there and lead your team, but managing managers is a different skill set, mm-hmm. and it's a different set of standards that you need to, to measure your team of managers against, rather than rather than standardized uh, competencies or whatever that the organization has come yeah. up. So the art of managing managers is about first of all, ensuring that they understand that that's what their work is, yeah. right? That is, first of all, understanding that my work is actually doing that. It's not back to the spreadsheets and all those things that make mm-hmm. me feel good about myself. It's about my job is to do that and is to be able to look out further down, further afield, be able to look at talent and how to, how to grow the talent uh, and all of those various pieces. And then from there, it's a series of, of opportunities. We run training programs around mm-hmm. these, the, the various skill sets. The skill sets of managing managers are very similar, but it's what you're actually managing that, mm-hmm. that changes. Very so that, that's generally how we do it. But 
But part of that is that awareness piece that this is what you're accountable for mm-hmm. as a manager of managers. Yeah. And I think that's a piece that most companies miss. They do. Mm-hmm. They, they very much do. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's, again, the, the attraction of our technical know-how as well as we don't see it as a career. Yeah. My career is, is my technical know-how. That's, mm-hmm. that's in our mindset. We don't see that my career is, is actually I'm a managerial leader. And, and I think, and this is a point that uh, Darren Hardy talks about whenever he talks about hiring. But when you hire someone, I always, I looked at not so much their book learning and their, their college and all that kind of stuff. I, I looked at what were they doing volunteering. I looked at, you know, I asked them questions that brought out their character. Those things I can't change in you. You know, that's a behavior change. And that's, that's you know, something that you want in your organization, someone with strong character, strong, um, you know, behavior. And, uh, and I think too often, you know, people will look at just at those resumes and, and at those schools and things and hire by that and then are disappointed whenever that person does it. Yeah, and I would argue that part of this is our relationship with risk. Mm. So I look to that experience as a way to reduce my risk because they've got the experience. It's here on this piece of paper or it's on LinkedIn or whatever. Mm. Now it's there. Um, But that's not an indication of someone's capability just because they've done it. Have they done it well? How do you know whether they've done it well? And one of the critical pieces that we often overlook when we're assessing talent is their cognitive capacity, mm-hmm. their ability to handle complexity. Um, so it's, and it's different than skills and knowledge. It's mm-hmm. not something that, that uh, you can be taught. It's something that, that matures over time and, mm-hmm. and you grow with. It's in, in effect, it's street smarts versus book smarts <laughs> is a you know, simplistic way to look at it, but we don't often look at it. Yeah. We look solely at the skills, knowledge, and experience that the individuals had because that reduces my risk somehow mm-hmm. or the school that they went to or right. whatever the case may be. Well, it is time for us to do rapid fire. So I have okay. um, a few questions to give in the time that we have. So you mentioned your book. Um, could you really discuss a little bit more what leaders really need in a way of um, managers you said is the journey that they take but can you talk a little bit about what that journey might look like well um so in in the book i i do talk about it as being a journey because it's you know it's a continually learning experience and 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 the the reason that I wrote the book was one, because the, this confusion over management and leadership, right? And that, that the two are, are intertwined somehow. And that there isn't a profession of managerial leadership. And then the third one is, is that aspect of, of managers of managers, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that they are the ones that actually determine the success of our management. Mm-hmm. And it's, because of them that we've lost our trust in management as well. Mm. And we create, you know, whistleblower hotlines and we, yeah. we end up with unions and all of these sort of things because our management has been horrendous. And whenever mm. I say that to a union group, 
they they get it in spades. They understand instantly what I mean because that's what they that's what they that's what they with. thrive on. Yeah. Yeah. So so that that's why I wrote the book. Um, and and the journey is is about understanding who you are, mm -hmm. why you're here, and what you're really trying to build. Is uh, from the standpoint of a leadership perspective. You know, who am I really? I don't want to be that person in a book. I don't want to be what mom and dad maybe thought I should be. Yeah. I want to be me. Yeah. And so often managerial leaders don't do that. Yeah. They're not focused on that. So yeah. who am I? Yeah. And what what do I bring to the organization? Uh, as I often say, if you don't like people, get out of the management kitchen. Right? If you don't like people, then you That's should get exactly out of the right. business yeah. managerial leadership. Just because you want to get a big paycheck. Well, that's not how it works necessarily. When I worked for Arby's, I had um, a time where I did behavioral studies for the managers or prospective managers. And as you say, you know, not everybody's cut out for that. And, and if somebody's study came back that they were a certain type that I knew was a sit back at your office door closed, don't bug me kind of person. <laughs> you would not do well in a fast food restaurant where you had to deal with teenagers, customers, not happy customers, you know, all different types of things where you could not be just sit back in the office kind of person. And that was hard for some people to understand because as you said they wanted to get a raise <laughs> and the only way they could get a raise was to go into management but you know take a look at your life and see what else there is that's better suited for you so you're mm -hmm. happy in what you do so that it's right. no longer a job it's what you love precisely yeah i mean the the premise that you only have one kick at this yeah right? so you better enjoy it <laughs> I am absolutely uh, an, an example of that, you know, and, and it was funny as we grew up for me, you know, it, in the, the 60s and 70s, you figured you're going to work at one company for the rest of your life, you know, and then retire and have that retirement thing and be happy. And um, whenever my brothers younger than me started to, to switch jobs all the time, I thought, oh, my God. And then now in my later years. I have had several careers and, and still I'm doing it and loving it. And I think that's what you, you have to understand. Do what you Absolutely. are, what you love, what you're good at, what your gift is. Yeah, exactly. So you said that um, a great place to work is not just possible. It is in your hands. Would you say this is the one takeaway from the book that you want everybody to grasp and hold on to and understand? Well, I, I think, yes, I, I mean, I, I think it is because, you know, the, the mission of, of our company, Forresting Company, is to help create great places to work that deliver the strategy. And so it's that tension between the task, which is the strategy and the people. And, but it is within our hands. It's yeah. not someone else's problem. Yeah. It's not, you know, we can't just keep pointing elsewhere. Mm -hmm. We have to realize that it's within us. And if I'm a manager of managers, I have a duty to ensure that my managers are behaving well and leading well and managing well. 
that's that's my that's my my role inside the organization. So it's absolutely within our hands. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's time now for me to share my screen. We've had such great information. Hopefully, y'all have been taking notes. But here is one more thing. If you are just listening, you want to grab that paper and pencil so that you can get Julian's information. So his website is https www.managerialleadershipjourney.com. Again, https colon forward slash forward slash www.managerialleadershipjourney.com. You can find him on LinkedIn and Twitter just, just by searching his name. And that's J-U-L-I-A-N-C-H-A-P-M-A-N, Julian Chapman. I'll let Julian talk to you a little bit about his book, um, with offer that he has about a free chapter. Yeah, so it's, so the uh, the website managerialleadershipjourney.com is the is the website of the book, and and if you go to that, you can get uh, you can get a uh, download of the the first chapter of the book to get a get a sense of the nature of the book. The book's available on Amazon. It's available in Barnes and Noble. Okay. It's 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 available all over the place. Strangely enough. Um, but and the book is the managerial leadership journey, an unconventional business pursuit. And that unconventional business pursuit is uh, is the aspect of my military background fused with uh, with my <laughs> civilian background. I guess is the, uh, is the perspective because it's actually un, rather unusual on this side of the border in Canada mm -hmm. uh, to to have that that sort of background. So. Wow. Not so much down there. No, no. As I said, I, I have interviewed some great military folks so far. Well, and if you if you look for me on LinkedIn, because every week I post uh, a weekly missive on whatever's happening in management issues. So ah. uh, I started that during the I started that on the, the 13th of March in 2020 when the world came grinding <laughs> to all. And I haven't stopped yet. I don't know when I'm gonna stop. Uh, but it's just, you know, the, the latest topics and the latest issues that mm -hmm. uh, in, in managerial leadership. So, yeah, well, everybody's still trying to figure out what normal is going to be like. And, and, That's um, right. Very so much so. I, I'm sure that there's food for thought for sure. Well, it's been just wonderful talk, chatting with you. And, uh, you know, maybe sometime I'll come up to Toronto again and we can have coffee and talk a little bit more. But it's been great and you gave a lot of good information. I, and I encourage everybody to go out and at least get that free chapter. I'm sure once you get that chapter, you'll want the whole book and visit amazon.com to get that. Again, that's Julian Chapman and the art. Oh, I lost my page, hold on a second. Give us the, the, the website one more time. Yeah, so, so it's managerialleadershipjourney.com. And, uh, and thanks so much for having me on, Vicki. It's great. You're very welcome. All right. So as always, I remind everyone that life is a journey and it's up to you to enjoy the ride. This is Vicki Nettling signing off. Thank you for tuning into the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast with Vicki Nettling, where we share impactful lessons that help you grow as an individual, grow your confidence, and find the positive and good within you so you powerfully and authentically become the best version of yourself.
Remember to visit our website at www.findyourleadershipconfidence.com and enjoy even more great episodes like this one. Again, while you're here, subscribe to us via your favorite network. We look forward to seeing you next time on the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast.